And I know Singapore has a huge food culture, right? So <laughs> yes. you can always try a new food that you have not tried absolutely, before. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And you know, in my coaching, I talk about what are your career ingredients. Oh, right? <laughs> it speaks so, to a lot of people. <laughs> absolutely. And so, what are you know? Put another way, what are your criteria of what you want out of your career or what do you want out of life? Hi, welcome to Speak Your Gut Out podcast. So in this episode, before we wrap up the year 2020, we have survived a pandemic, a lockdown, and I guess a lot of us have lost our jobs or had to take a pay cut or had to pivot our career, pick our new skill, try something different. Small businesses have to do online delivery. So I guess this year has been such a year of change. But fundamentally, how do we learn from this year so that we can survive and continue our lifelong learning journey? And today, I'm very glad and I think it's very fitting that I invite Mo, uh, Mo, Mo Yun Fong. She is the Senior Director at Google Technical Solutions based in California. Um, you've been there for about 14 years, really in the tech industry. And you also is a business coach at Harvard Business School. And Mo does a volunteer uh, as a mentor at a, a lot of these non-profit organizations. Um, but Mo actually started out as a high school teacher. So that is a very, very cool starting ground. But it has nothing to do with the gut, right? Today's topic is really not a medical topic. Hopefully, it does connect to the gut. Like, I will ho hope that Mo can share more about her experience starting out as a teacher. How did she change and build her career along the way? and you know gradually evolve and move into the tech industry what drives her how, how, how did she get here uh, hopefully that it will be a learning journey for many of us especially the, those that have been working for 10 20 years and you know uh, have always stuck to one industry how do you actually make that leap of faith <laughs> if you will so i will actually invite mo to do a little bit of an introduction before we dive into it Hi, Mo. Well, thanks so much, Sun, for inviting me. And certainly this has been a challenging year and a year of change. Mm -hmm. um, but like you said, you know, there's things that we can do to make us more resilient and, you know, navigate this change with as much confidence and also bright outlook for the next year as well. And you're very generous with your introduction. And certainly I've learned a lot in my own career journey about things to do and things definitely not to do. Um, but I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Sure. So, yeah, let's just go back, way back to decades ago when you started as a high school teacher, right? Um, maybe we start from there, you know, what do you remember, you know, going into teaching, you know? Can, oh, could you share absolutely. with us, yeah, the ambition at the time? Well, I've always grown up with a great deal of reverence to my teachers. And I think coming from an Asian culture, education is like one of the pinnacles of the things you can do to make sure that you are improving not only yourself, but also making your family proud and ensuring that you have a good financial future. Um, so I always like gravitated towards my teachers, especially being an immigrant to the United States, you know, kind of school was my second home. So I wanted to give back, but Certainly, um, I followed a very traditional undergraduate path in chemical engineering, but I always knew I wanted to teach. So I convinced my parents like, hey, if, if I teach for just a couple of years, is that okay? And then I'll, I will go back to engineering. I will, you know? Um, so they were very um, supportive. And so I got my teaching credential 
And that was so life changing because I thought I would only teach for a couple of years, but I grew to love my students. And I think to me, that was the biggest learning um, being a high school teacher is that I, I did go with this passion area, but I always had the safety net of like, hey, if it's too risky, I always could go back to engineering. But in retrospect, I mean, teaching is such a critical profession um, anywhere you go. And what I loved about my teaching credentialing program is I learned from my master teacher that I wasn't teaching math and I wasn't teaching chemistry. I was teaching students, mm. right? So I was investing in people's lives here and they were so formative in their high school years that they were listening to me, not just about the subject, but really about just life in general. Um, so some of the students I had um, are now working at Google. And so oh, sometimes wow. they come and they say, hey, can we have lunch? And, you know, it's just wonderful to reconnect now more as peers than anything else. And it's wonderful that, you know, I had that experience. Um, so in following my gut, in so to speak, you know, that sense of I want to give back, I can always defer and come back to engineering if I wanted to, and really was not that big a risk because it would be doing something that I would love. And certainly that experience has taken me um, into new career journeys. Right? right, and it gives me credibility when I'm now working in education technology to be able to say, look, mm -hmm. I've been in the classroom, I've been an administrator for the school, and so I know firsthand what it feels like to be a teacher. Right, that's that's really interesting. So engineering was also one of your like first love, but you chose teaching instead. Um, yeah, was that? Did you think that you, if you have done it the other way and you did engineering first? you know, your whole life would have taken a different course? Oh, I'm sure it would have, <laughs> definitely would have. Um, but these pivots that I've taken weren't like completely 180, right? Mm -hmm. So when I started teaching, it was because I loved math and science. Mm -hmm. And that actually is what led me to study engineering in the first place. So mm -hmm. I got my degree in chemical engineering and I taught math and chemistry. So it was a very natural fit. Um, and I could tell my students about the major, right, um, from a very authentic perspective as well. So I think every single pivot I had, it, it, it may look on paper like complete, like out of the blue changes, <laughs> but there's always been a thread through and a very logical path and a rationale of why I wanted to make the changes at those times. Yeah. Talk to me about that thread, the common thread that, you know, you managed to pull through um, and now bringing education into the tech sector. As you said, some of your students, uh, you taught some of them and they joined the same company that you're at. So you, you never stop teaching. And there's a quote, right? While we teach, we learn. What have you learned so far? You know, what has been the biggest learning or takeaway? Yeah, absolutely. And there's a notion about learning about oneself in the process. So there's, you know, part of the learning, which is about hard skills and soft skills and things that you would take to a workplace, right? Um, but I think some of the, even during the pandemic, it's given many of us time to do some introspection and say, what am I learning about myself in the process? And so I think, you know, when you ask me about what was the thread through, right? Now that I look back on my career journey, I think for my own learning about myself is that I really enjoy building, mm -hmm. right? So I think many engineers enjoy the process of building, but I 
enjoy not only building things, I enjoy building teams. I enjoy building, you know, a culture and environment where other people can thrive and really fulfill their own potential. And so that for me brings me a lot of joy, right? And so I've also learned like what I struggle with. Yeah. Right. I struggle a lot when there are reorganizations, right? It's like, you know, you're leading a team, you build your vision, and then the company decides to take things in a different direction. And so I struggle with that, mm -hmm. right? It's like, okay, how do I now make my, you know, potentially change in values even, right, with reorganizations? Like, how do I, you know, find alignment again, right? And how do I find the value and the purpose of my role when things change? And so I don't know if this is a unique struggle, but certainly um, I've gone through this a couple of times now and I discover like something different every time. Um, so I think that would be kind of what I'm learning about myself. And then the things about learning for new skill sets, right? Um, so certainly during the pandemic, many of us have found that the folks who can stay at home and work remotely are those with more um, technical skills or uh, work for companies that are more in the technical industries or white collar industries. And so even that field is changing quite a bit, mm -hmm. right? So how do you maintain relevance? Um, take classes, for example, in machine learning or AI, just to even get the terminology, right? Because the whole world is evolving to a more technology-centered focused area. So I think it's important for all of us to, you know, hone those hard skills and soft skills as well as learning more about yourself. Right. Thanks for sharing that. I guess, you know, the question is about, you know, nature versus nurture. You know, some of us are very good at tech. You know, we're very hands-on. We can self-teach ourselves by going to, to online classes. Or some people, you don't even need to give them a manual, right? The younger generation, you just give them a device, they'll figure it out. Right. <laughs> um, but there are people who maybe not so technically inclined, they need more time. Yeah, what, what do you say about that? Yeah, you know, there are different types of learners, right? And mm -hmm. definitely from my high school teaching, you know, some kids are auditory learners, some kids are visual learners. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's certain kids that are learning disabled or learning challenged, I would say, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you have to really understand like how you learn best. Um, I was just talking to somebody today who had dyslexia growing up, right? Right, And so, um, but she made it all the way through business school, you know, HBS, like you can't, you know, get much more, um, you know, I guess prestigious organizations to like learn from. But she had to seek accommodations, right, to be able to take advantage of the learning environment and the learning content. Um, yeah. So I, I think my story is just to help the, your listeners understand that, you know, if you know how you learn best, then seek out those methods for learning. And if it's not online, you know, unfortunately, you may have to wait until the pandemic's over, at least in the United States, to go to an in-person class. Absolutely. Um, but there are certainly things like podcasts if you're auditory learners, yeah. right? And if you're more visual learners, you know, there's videos you can watch, right? Um, but there's some kids who really need that hands-on, like a one-on-one -on -one tutor situation. And so if it's possible to find people who are willing to teach you one-on-one, -on -one, then sometimes that's best. 
And then the, the rest of us, you know, learn on the job, right? And sometimes there's no better way to learn than just rolling up your sleeves and just doing the work. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Like you really have to push yourself out there and fail a few times before you get it right. And be, be thick-skinned enough to ask. Uh, a lot of people are shy in the workplace or in the virtual meetings to ask questions or, or to ask dumb questions, right? But if you don't ask, you never know. <laughs> I can't agree with you more on that point. You know, I, I think there's a notion, especially amongst Asian cultures, that it's you have to do it on your own and, you know, it would be a sign of weakness if you have to ask for help. Um, but I have found that is actually what holds people back from more senior levels of leadership is not knowing how to ask for help in a way that is collaborative, right? So all of us need help. Um, you know, there's this kind of joke that Asian people like individual sports, you know, like tennis or <laughs> table tennis, you know, badminton, whatever it is. Um, but here, you know, it's a lot about team sports, yeah. right? Because you have to understand what your role is on the field you know, how to listen to the coach, how to work as a team member and ask for help. It's like, you know, in many sports like basketball or soccer, there's the notion of an assist, mm. right? How do you assist each other to win the game? Right. I guess it's not, um, there's no boundaries to where you're located. As long as you work in a big team or across countries, there's nuances, right? There are people who are more extrovert. They're just people who won't speak out, but they will, do the most brilliant work, right? As long as you give them the right direction. Yeah. Absolutely. And back to this dyslexia as a learning disability. My daughter has dyslexia. So she's 14. Yeah. And uh, she actually got English as her the, the best subject this at the final year exam, which blew our minds, right? Like, how can a dyslexia kid get to where she is today? Um, yeah, a few things that she did. She, she's an audio learner. So she, she likes to listen to e-books, audio books. Uh, yeah. And then she really likes short form kind of writing styles. So she, she does that quite regularly. And I guess the key word is intervention. If you know you have an issue, how do you find a way to intervene? You know, talk to the right people, go to uh, a, a special needs school whatsoever, and then tutoring. And yeah, definitely the whole... Uh, lockdown with online classes was really challenging for her. She couldn't focus and all that. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And, and I think she will grow up to be very resilient. I mean, there's a book by Malcolm Gladwell that talks about how, you know, Fortune 500 CEOs have to overcome learning uh, challenges when they were growing up. And one of them was actually talking about dyslexia, right? And that actually gave them other ways to learn um, just by looking at visual cues and people. And so, you know, I, I think there's always um, a way to you know, not overcome, but thrive with whatever you think of as your, um, you know, kind of challenge, right? Whether it's physical or mental, I think if you're able to unlock what drives you and then also figure out how to lean on your other strengths, I think that's actually really important. Um, you know, in many of the leadership trainings now, you know, there's two schools of thought. One is like figure out your areas of development and really try to shore up those gaps. But the other school of thought is to figure out what your strengths are and actually leverage those more because of what you were saying about this nurture versus nature. Mm. Because in times of chaos, in times of stress, 
we will all tend to gravitate towards what's in our nature. And so if you can understand where your strengths, natural strengths are, and really refine that, um, it will propel you a lot further than trying to always shore up your areas of development. And that for me is also probably more painful, right? To <laughs> try to always, um, you know, think about your deficiencies and try to, you know, shore them up. Yeah, that's, that's a very interesting point. You know, something that belongs to you intrinsically that you already have inside you. So like my daughter, she's very creative. She'll find ways that you know, maybe it's not traditional approach, but she'll figure it out on her own way. So I really like that you shared about the organization changes. You know, you, you don't really, you cut, you don't really like to deal with that. But it happens to all of us. We have to go through all that in the workplace. That's always changes. Change has become a constant, right? So really tapping onto, okay, I don't really know how to, to deal with this, but sharing with, with more people, talking about it, we're all on the same boat. And then, Going back to your innate ability, for example, I'm doing this podcast, right? It's actually a very technical area that I've no um, experience before. So I have to teach myself what, what software to use, what, what uh, podcast hosting site to use. Um, but I went back to like 20 years ago when I was in art school. You know, it just kept bringing me back there. Oh, I, I, taught, I learned how to, you know, do video editing, sound editing. So... Uh, something that I've lost touch, but then now it, I know it came back because it's always been there. It's something I love creatively. So I managed to bridge that gap towards the technical skill I need to pick up in a very short time. Um, and it's painful because <laughs> sometimes you get it wrong and the audio goes all over the place. Um, and like I said, you just have to come back to it and redo everything again. Yeah, I guess that's yeah. learning journey in a nutshell. <laughs> I was curious how you felt after you figured it all out. Uh, there is a, like in my gut, I felt um, it click, it click into mm -hmm. place. Yeah, so I'm a big advocate about listening to your body. And, you know, sometimes you, you, you're, you're, you're motivated by adrenaline. You rush into it, you're passionate about it, you do it. And then suddenly when you sit back and you just look around and, oh, what have I done? And then suddenly, oh, it felt right when you click into place. And that's when you know you've done a good job. Well, I love that. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about, you know, how did you transition to tech, you know, after you left teaching? What, what drove you there mid-career? Absolutely. Yeah. So, well, the reason, I have to go back a little bit mm -hmm. to explain, um, why I was interested in technology in the first place. Right. Because when I first started down the road of teaching and then seeing how schools were run, it really um, interested me to understand why schools could run so poorly when businesses were thriving mm -hmm. and run well. Mm -hmm. So was there something about the way businesses run that we could take back into the education sector. And this right? is the and public make, school system you're talking about. Exactly, yeah. and make the public school systems thrive as much as businesses were thriving. Mm. So um, I think this notion around like business and education, and now I'm more convinced that education has things to teach the business world just as much as the business world has to teach the education world. Right. Um, that is there some... Um, way to bring the best of both worlds together. Mm -hmm. So at the time I had mainly worked in education 
And so I wanted to have at least one experience in the business sector, right, in corporate uh, sectors. So that led me to go from Stanford University to work at PayPal. And the way I found that position was more through network job search. Um, and it so happened that my skills were transferable to my first job at PayPal, which was in the policy area. Mm-hmm. So PayPal has something called acceptable use policy, what you can and cannot use PayPal for. And it was literally about how do you set policy at the top level? Mm-hmm. And then how do you get your users to adopt those policies and how do you enforce it? So same thing as in the school setting, right? How do you set school policies and then okay. how do you get the students or your staff or the schools themselves to you know, adhere to those policies and then enforce it too? So, so that was how the skill sets um, kind of gave me an entry point into my first tech job. And then what I discovered was that PayPal was an amazing company um, and I had so much to take back, but I wanted one more business experience because I was like, oh, PayPal's not your traditional company, neither is Google, (laughs) by the way. Um, But it was really fascinating to see how these companies grow and how they are so flexible, right, to make sure that the company continues to survive and thrive even though the environment might change. Um, and I should say, when I was working at PayPal, that was actually during the um, financial crisis. Mm-hmm. And so it was also interesting to see how businesses operated when things started to not do as well as you know you would hope, right? It, it provides a completely different lens. Mm-hmm. So you've, you've stayed there for many years in tech and now you're, you're giving back to the society and to the younger girls or new businesses by coaching and mentoring. Yeah, could you share with us yeah. some of that? You know, what you've picked up, you know, by, by teaching more young people and also adults, you know, um, with your journey. Yeah, and I wanted to react to something you said about, you know, being in tech and now I'm giving back. Um, the way I view social impact is that it's more of a frame of mind than anything else, right? So people often ask me, oh, how do I get into more of a sector that has more social impact? Mm -hmm. I said, well, what makes you think you're not having social impact now, right? Um, Because it could end up being just a framing question Mm -hmm. because, for example, like if you're working in tech, right, you may be, checking in code or you may be working on the accounting side of things but it's enabling the tech company to solve a problem of that's prevalent in society right you're doing it anyway yeah so you're already having social impact Mm -hmm. so the more question is like do you want to have more direct social impact or do you are you okay with the indirect social impact but i don't think one is absence of the other Um, So I think it is more of, you know, thinking about um, the scale as well of your social impact, right? Because I am in such admiration of teachers, right, or even tutors, because they're having impact with students, you know, depending on how large your class size is every year. Um, But even if you made that one connection with that one student every year, 
and that student goes on to do amazing things, that's also a social impact. Mm -hmm. Or you can work on something like, you know, I worked on Google search, which is a billion users, right? And or plus a billion plus users. And that's really scaled impact, um, but that's much further removed, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to figure out for yourself, like what brings you more joy? Is, is it the one-on-one -on -one impact or is it more that scaled impact? And right now I feel like I get the best of both, right? Because I'm working at Google, having scaled impact, but it's also the one-on-one -on -one coaching gives me the joy of, you know, getting to know individuals at a much deeper level. Right. I've never seen it that way. Yeah, definitely. You know, when you talk about work, especially in tech, in education or in healthcare, where I come from, um, whatever you're doing, you're, you're trying to deliver, let's say, innovation or medicine to people. And the faster you can accelerate that process, the, the more people can be treated or cared for. So certainly a lot of us do a job for a job and then they fail to realize that they're actually delivering a service, they're offering a hand. Um, I guess the question, how can you do more if there's a desire to do more? You know, in what sort of avenues can you go um, volunteer in a food bank, in a shelter, you know, whatever you are, you, and all that, depending on where your heart feels like. I do want to ask you about young girls, right, in, in tech. Do you see a challenge there teaching girls about tech? Um, knowing that, you know, a lot of the, in the, in the tech industry, um, you know, the glass ceiling, are, there are a lot of men <laughs> in the C-suite as well. So a lot of women would, you know, go and have a family, have kids. So what is that trajectory like for young girls? And what do you see as the biggest challenge to teach young girls tech? Absolutely. Um, we've actually done some research around this too, because the question is, how do you inspire girls to want to be in tech, number one? And then once they're in tech, how do you retain them mm. in tech, right? And why is that important? Um, you know, I think we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that tech is the way that the world is shifting and there's a lot of economic opportunity when you have technical skills. But it's also not for everyone, right? And so I think for girls who are interested in tech, what our research found is that in middle school and high school, the biggest influencers for the girls is actually their parents. Mm. So we want to make sure that, you know, the parents understand the importance of tech, but they are also encouraging, you know, the, the whole um, example of mothers in particular say, oh, I was never good in math. Right. It kind of gives the girls an impression that, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't be good in math. Right. Right. And so I think what we say as parents to our young girls is really important. And then also as parents to be able to support our girls when they find opportunities or even looking for opportunities for them to engage in technology. Right. Whether it's online free coding classes or after school programs, et cetera. Um, but I also know there are certain families um, that when the girl comes to the father or the mother and says, hey, I'm interested in taking this coding class, I'm like, well, why would you be interested in it? That's more for your brother, right? There's still some parents with that very much gender-biased yeah. mindset. Um, and we see this not just in um, Asian families, but also here in the United States, Black and Latino families as well. 
And so it's just overcoming that hurdle of saying, mm-hmm. hey, you know what, the parents are supportive, if the girls are interested, like bring more opportunities, not less. Mm-hmm. And then the whole notion about the teaching girls, um, you know, there's a lot of research also about all girls schools, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and how in middle school, if you remove the distraction of boys, right, and all the social pressures, mm-hmm. then the girls actually feel more comfortable asking, you know, what you were saying, the, the dumb questions, quote unquote, dumb questions in the class, and just feeling comfortable with saying, hey, look, I can work collaboratively um, with other students to solve problems, and it doesn't have to be competition all the time. Um, so I've heard parents say, like, oh, I enrolled my girls in a you know, robotics class that was mixed gender. And when they separated the kids into working groups or study groups, the boys would take over and there'd become this sudden competition. Um, but yeah. then when the parents intervened and said, look, my daughter came home and she just doesn't like the class anymore. Then what they discover is that if they group the girls in more um, girls only groups, it became much more collaborative. Um, and then the girls started to enjoy the class more that way. Mm-hmm. So I think there is something to be said about just, you know, how girls learn compared to boys. But that's, you know, very broad brush. I don't say all girls are like that. Certainly yeah. I grew up very competitive. <laughs> so I don't mind. Um, but again, it, you know, and I would say some boys are much more collaborative too, right? So you mm-hmm. kind of have to see what the working styles are and how to motivate all the kids. Um, but certainly there's enough research there that say girls do learn differently in different environments. And so we have to pay attention to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, if we can tap into the gut now, you know, in terms of what we just talked through in the last half an hour, you know, if tapping into your gut is a superpower, you know, what advice would you give other people, young girls, adults, to tune in to their body and really trust their instinct, you know, whether it's technical or not technical, in terms of choosing their career. My son is 18, so he's about to pick which college he has to go to. And so I'm thinking of young, younger adults coming into the workforce now who might be struggling a little bit more uh, in the job market because of the weakened economy. They, they might be not be able to go into the field that they've studied for, right? They have to do something else first. So they might be in this crossroads that's a bit of, difficult to manage, but I guess it's coming back into this inward reflection and having, you know, um, maybe I, what I would advise is for these young people to speak to mentors across different industries to get some of this experience. What would that advice um, be like from you? This is a, a tough one because <laughs> everybody is so different, but I would say, you know, we have this saying at Google called be uncomfortably excited about what you're doing. Oh, wow, I love that. So even if your gut is saying, oh, I really don't want to do this, it's making me feel very uncomfortable, but at the same time, I'm getting this tingle of excitement because I don't know what's going to happen and it may be the best thing ever, right? So I think it's the listen to your gut of, you know, knowing what you are, really excited about but if it feels too comfortable you're not you're probably not pushing yourself enough but if you are staying in that place of discomfort for too long that's also not a good thing 
Absolutely, right? yes. So your your mind and your heart should say, yes, this is something I really want to try. And you're going to say, oh, but I'm not sure. It might be a little risky. That's probably like the perfect place for you to be, right? Yeah. And just to go for the it. sweet spot. And then, yeah. And then after a while, you know, and only you know what that time period or time frame is for you. But if you're staying in that place of discomfort and people are giving you signals like, hey, you're really not doing that well, right? And you're going to get performance reviews and whatnot. And you're just struggling all the time to, you know, like we talked about shoring up your areas of development all the time. And, and that effort is not giving you the return that you're hoping for. Then it's okay to be kind to yourself and say, you know what, you gave it a go. It's not a failure because you're going to learn from it and pivot to something else, right? Mm. Um, so that's, that's probably the main advice I would say is like, be patient, go where you're uncomfortably excited. But if it's not working the way you had envisioned it, then after a while, be kind to yourself and say, you know what, give it a good go and pivot to something else that might come more naturally. Right. I really love that. I mean, it does. it is painful sometimes to try new things, to even get out of our comfort zone. And uh, I, I guess the sad thing is a lot of us stay in the comfort zone for far too long. So we are not kind to ourselves. We, we hate what we are doing, but we still, you know, do it for the sake of surviving. I know there are people who are maybe in a less fortunate position when they are living from paycheck to paycheck. They don't have the luxury to just uproot themselves and change their career all of a sudden. So I guess the key here is really, you know, take a step back and reflect. Every year, you know, do this assessment. Where are you heading? Can I do something differently? Um, in terms of career and in terms of your whole life outlook, I guess. It's really to, to have is, that you shift. You made a really important point too that I don't want to gloss over. I feel like I personally am in a very fortunate and privileged position to be able to say, you know, go ahead and do something uncomfortably exciting, mm. right? Because like you mentioned, the majority of people don't have that luxury, mm. right? They are living paycheck to paycheck. Mm -hmm. And so I would say for those of you who are struggling and are very challenged because you have to make ends meet right now, the whole notion about be patient, right? Because there will be a time where it may be a little bit better circumstance where you can think about pivots, hmm. right? And you may have to rely on other people to help you to make those pivots, right? Whether it is um, giving you time to study if someone can watch your kids or if someone can help make the meals, you know, and that may afford you a little bit more time too. Um, so I also want to mention that sometimes it's not necessarily about time, but it's more about your energy. Mm. So there's been, um, you know, some discussions around, you know, time is finite, right? Mm. Um, but energy is not. So if you can infuse more energy into your day, that could help you find that energy to explore new things, mm. right? Even if you don't have time, um, like if you can even carve out 10 minutes of like intense energy and focus, yeah. that may be even better than an hour's worth of time where you're completely unfocused and worried about other things. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think 10 minutes, five minutes a day just to do something or go online, you know, do some research, 
get uh, um, online classes. That's if you, that's all you can master for now. Yeah, you know, just do it and don't apolog apologize for not having enough time to do other things. And the other thing you mentioned about ask ask for help. Guess a lot of people are struggling on their own in their own households and. By asking for help, your neighbors, your friends, your family members, it's a big step. You know, if the community can come together and support each other, I guess through the, the lockdown, um, some communities are doing that. They have, you know, group buying certain groceries and stuff like that. And if we can carry whatever we have learned this year, right, through COVID, through managing a different world, I guess uh, the world has changed. We have to move on to a more cohesive uh, environment. That helps everyone. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, is there any other last parting advice, Mo, you can give us in terms of your whole teaching, the notion of teaching, lifelong learning, everybody should, you know, there is no, like, retirement sunset and I stop learning, I stop, uh, you know, it's like, no matter what age you are, you know, you can always pick out a new hobby, a new um, game, a new volunteer activity so that's that's my belief you need to stay active in life um, what would that be your advice what would you ask people to pay attention to yeah just keep momentum going right so to build on your point you know every little step counts mm -hmm. right and so even if it's learning how to cook something just a little bit differently by adding a new spice or something like that mm -hmm. right it's about adding something to awaken your senses, if you will. Mm. And I know Singapore has a huge food culture, right? So <laughs> yes. You can always try a new food that you have not tried absolutely, before. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And, you know, in my coaching, I talk about what are your career ingredients. Oh, right? <laughs> it speaks so, to a lot of people. <laughs> absolutely. And so what are, you know, put another way what are your criteria of what you want out of your career or what do you want out of life mm -hmm. and if you can get clarity on what you want right and you know what those ingredients are you, sh you probably shouldn't be putting all the ingredients into your cake or your stew it all at, all at once right mm -hmm. it's like you add you know, one ingredient at a time and let it simmer because that builds the flavor over time, mm -hmm. right? So that's really how I think about a career journey is that figure out what your ingredients are, figure out what you want as your end product and let it simmer and let it build over time. It's going to be delicious and it's going to be great. <laughs> so on that note, thank you so much, Mo. Uh, I hope everyone goes to experiment these ingredients, you know, as they move towards the festive season in the year end, take one ingredient at a time, let it simmer, and uh, see what you come out with. You might end up with something totally different than you planned for. Yeah, it'll be good for your gut, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. If it doesn't work, take that ingredient out. <laughs> Thank you, Mo. So to everyone, stay safe this holiday season. Uh, take care, and till we speak again. Bye.